I'm sorry. Looks like you'll just have to miss out on the witty repartee of Joey Eat Me Donner. <sighs> you suck. You suck. Hello, movie lovers. You're listening to the Does It Hold Up podcast, the podcast where we talk about some of the best movies of all time to see if they still hold up. I'm Adam. And I'm Emily. And this week we're going over 1999's 10 Things I Hate About You. This is the first, I think the first, high school comedy that I ever saw. It's either this or American Pie. They both came out around the same time, and I'm just not sure which one I saw first. I remember watching this, and I was like, this is a good movie. And then making the connection that it's The Taming of the Shrew by (laughs) Shakespeare. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's incredible. Especially when you actually listen to the title of the movie. Taming of the Shrew, 10 Things I Hate About You. They even (laughs) did it with the title that it kind of sounds similar. It has the same cadence, the same talk. Like, did you ever notice that? I did not. I did know that Shakespeare plays a big part in this movie, but I didn't even know Taming of the Shrew was a thing until like years after I'd watched this movie. Gotcha. Uh, This movie came out first, actually. March 31st, 1999. American Pie didn't come out until July 9th, 1999. How dare you? You would have seen this first then if you saw it in theaters. Not, I didn't see it in theaters. So, (laughs) all right. So 10 Things I Hate About You. This movie made some money. Only some? Only some. It had a budget of $13 million. Domestically, it took in $38.2 million. Worldwide, $60.4 million. In 1999... It was the 54th highest grossing movie. What was the number one movie of 1999? Highest grossing movie. I have no idea. Of course you do. You love this movie. I don't know. It's got pod racing. Oh. (laughs) Star Wars. Phantom Menace. The Phantom Menace. The Phantom Menace. Yeah, I know. I don't know why people do that all the time. They drop words in titles of movies. Yeah. People are just like Goonies. And I'm like, it's The Goonies? It's... The the in a movie title is, like, superfluous. I know, but they put it in there for a reason. Just say it. Anyway, yeah, that was the number one movie of that year. Made all the money. Adjusted for inflation, it would have been about $79.1 million, which would have put it in the 29th slot. Above Blue Beetle, but below Insidious, The Red Door. I feel like that's a damnation on the movies coming out this year, that it was, like, 54th, did you say? And now it's all the way up at 27. Yeah. Well, 29th. 29th. Sorry. Yeah. What did our guy Raj have to say about this? He gave this movie two and a half stars. The quote I grabbed from him is, I like the movie's spirit, the actors, and some of the scenes. The movie almost, but not quite, achieves liftoff against the gravitational pull of the tired story formula. Sometimes it's a mistake to have acting this charming, The characters become so engaging and spontaneous, we notice how trapped they are in the plot. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. The Rotten Tomato critic score has it at a 71%, and the audience is 79%. But we know those aren't the real numbers, so the real numbers are critics have it at a 6.3 out of 10, audience a 6.4. Yeah, they're basically love the movie the same. Did we have a cinema score for this one? We did not, surprisingly. All right, so normally I'd talk about the director or something here, but who cares? (laughs) Um, This was like his biggest claim to fame was this movie and then directing the 12 episodes of the TV show based on this movie. I never watched that, did you? No, God, no. 
I don't watch TV. I didn't want it to taint the movie. Yeah, I mean, I think it only got one season, so it wasn't very good. (laughs) But I do want to talk about the screenwriters. Karen McCullough and Kirsten Smith. This was their first screenplay that that they had written and got made. But they'd also go on to write two of your favorite movies of the 2000s. Ooh, I can't wait. So I'm going to tell you the actress in both, and you have to tell me the movie. I will try. All right. The first movie, Reese Witherspoon. Legally Blonde. Correct. Second movie, Anna Faris. House Money? Yep. Oh my God. Yeah. So these two (laughs) writers wrote this movie and other things too, but they would also write Legally Blonde and The House Bunny, which I know are two movies that you absolutely love. No wonder I enjoy this script. Here's some facts behind the scenes of this movie. This movie was entirely shot on locations. Not a single set was used. That's you, probably cheaper, actually. Yeah, you know how rare that is, though? Usually, like, pickup shots or, like, reshoots or something have to happen, and so they build a set to mirror it or whatever, or just it's easier to build on a set. But nope, this one was entirely shot on location. They got it perfect the first time. The band on the roof at the end of the movie was real. That was not CGI, nothing like no trickery. Oh, you could tell. They put them up on there. And the lead singer of the band, uh, Letters to Cleo, did an interview where she talked about it. She was like, I was terrified. It was so scary. It was so windy. And they were like, it costs $500,000 each time this helicopter has to take off to film this. Don't fuck it up. (laughs) <laughs> and so she felt so nervous. And at one point, the helicopter swoops in. You know, the camera pushes in on them. Mm-hmm. And she remembers seeing the helicopter just like dive bombing them. And she freaked out a little of like, is that supposed to happen? Is it out of control? Are we all about to die? But she was like, don't fuck this up. $500,000. And she just kept going. And it's an amazing shot. This was actually a knit of mine for the last minute of the movie was think of the logistics of getting all that band equipment and everything up to that roof for that one shot. Why? Because it's gorgeous. I mean, it is, but why? Because Gil Junger, or Younger, the director, is a madman. All right, that's fair. And he wanted it. That's fair. Almost everybody in this movie was either a teenager, 18, 17, or like 20, which is really good. Like, they were all right around the ages they were supposed to be playing. The two oldest, as part of the the ensemble here, was Susan May Pratt, who plays the William Shakespeare-obsessed best friend. Okay. She was 26. And Gabrielle Union, Bianca's best friend, was 28. Wow, she did not look it. No, she's gorgeous. Yeah. She, she grew up to even be more gorgeous, too. Yeah. She's married to NBA player Dwayne Wade. You've seen her on, like, his TV show, The Cube and stuff. She just has a beautiful smile. And then when she was in Bring It On, like a year later or two years later, do you remember? Uh-huh. Oh my God. Had the biggest crush on her in that movie. <laughs> biggest crush. Everybody else wanted uh, whoever the star was, Kirsten Dunst. And I was like, no, no, no. Gabriel Union. Yeah. So hot. Uh, the marching band scene where mm-hmm. he sings, that was a real marching band. Nice. But not from the school that they shot at because that school didn't have a marching band. So they uh. had to go to a nearby school. And they got the marching band to be a part of it. And the kid that he pays off to set it all up and then leads the marching band is the real marching band leader of that school at the time. That is actually really cool. Although, how do you not have a marching band if you have like a Coliseum stadium? Like, what the heck? You clearly have the money for it. 
that more important was sports, I guess. I, I don't know. Uh, Weird. But yeah, I thought that was really cool, especially because Heath was really singing. Really? That's really him singing that song. He's good. Here's some casting what ifs. Ooh, okay. For Patrick Verona. Now, I, I don't think I want to trade in Heath Ledger, but here's two names that auditioned and were this close to getting it. Mm-hmm. Ashton Kutcher. Interesting. Probably could have done it, but it's a slightly different movie if he's Patrick Verona. Very, yeah, I don't think he can do the like bad boy as as well. But my guy, who I would have loved to see in this movie, Josh Hartnett. I don't know him from around that time. I only know him more now. You don't even know him now. He's not in a lot of stuff. You only know him because we watched 30 Days of Night over Halloween. Yeah. And he was the star of that. He was doing some stuff around then. He wasn't a big name yet, but I, I love him. I said about it in our 30 Days of Night pod, how much I love him and how he should be a bigger star. He was in movies like The Faculty at the time, which you've probably never seen or heard of. I think I've heard of it. I have not seen. But he plays a bad boy in that, who sells drugs at school and stuff like that. So he definitely could have pulled the bad boy stuff. Would have been great. Would have been great. For Cat, okay? Mm. Katie Holmes? No. Yeah, no. One, she's just not a good actress. Yeah. That was and, my, my whole no was based on that alone. Yeah, and two, no. Eliza Dushku. Sure. You ever seen Bring It On? You've seen it, right? Yeah, a while ago, though. She's the tough chick who joins the cheerleading squad. Oh, I liked her. Yeah, she, she auditioned, almost had it. A person that was offered the movie, but her mom turned it down. Kate Hudson. Her mom turned it down. Her mom didn't like the script and thought it was not going to work. Well, it is a little vulgar at times, so mm-hmm. I can I can see it. But Kate Hudson, who would go on to be a megastar, literally had the role and then said no, and they cast Julia Stiles instead. Yeah. Julia Stiles actually auditioned to play Bianca. Yeah, she and... would not have been a good Bianca. <laughs> um, You know, you're an actor. Like, you figure it out. But Larissa Olonek, who plays Bianca, auditioned to be Kat. I mean, they she are... might have been able to do Kat. She they was kind of catty. Yeah, they auditioned for uh, each other's role, and the directors were like, no, switch. It could be with their physical appearances, too, like her being smaller, and, you know, it all seems... Oh, yeah, it could be. ...to work that way. Absolutely, it could be. Let's go through the cast. It's a good cast. It's a very good cast. Uh, so Julia Stiles plays Kat Stratford, who is Kat Stratford, who's, like, the, the star of this. Like, it's... Let's be honest. It's her story. Mm-hmm. And she's the tough girl who doesn't want to date because of bad things that happened in the past and then gets swept off her feet by a bad boy. A bad boy who's not all that bad. Do What do we think? We like her in this? Uh, she's a total B word. I can see what she's everyone bitch, was saying. Yeah. I can see what everyone was saying about her, uh, calling her a heinous bitch. But <laughs> I, I like her. Okay. I like, I, I like her in this. I like her in this role. I think she has enough of a don't mess with me and leave me alone vibe where it's like, yeah, I can believe you as this person. Larissa Olonek plays Bianca Stratford, the baby sister, and she is the sweet doll-like girl who all the guys are in love with. Who's also a total bitch. Yep. Yeah. No, But in a completely um, different way. Oh, yeah. She works perfectly for this role. She's able to play the, like, sweet and innocent, but I'm actually just out for my own self very well. 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt is Cameron James. He's good. He's a great actor. This might not have been his best role. I liked him in it simply because he was still very young and he played it pretty well. He added those extra levels to it that a lesser actor might not have. He made it charming enough where it wasn't super awkward and creepy, but still gave it that edge. Yeah. David Krumholtz plays Michael Ekman, who is Cameron's best friend and helps him out with everything. I absolutely love him. I need him in everything. Yeah. Well, we I just... know. Isn't there something like bad with the actor or something? No. no? Not that oh. I remember anyway. He I... just got fat. Uh-huh. All right. Two more to talk about here. Andrew Keegan plays Joey Donner. Yeah. We he, like him. He was perfect for that role. He was. He I was. also wanted to punch him in the face. We all did. Uh, and a lot of people did later in life, too, because he started a cult. Oh, uh, yeah. All right. And last person is Heath Ledger as Patrick Verona, the bad boy of the movie, who we unfortunately lost back in 2008, January 22nd, 2008, at the age of only 28. That smile, though. I had the hugest crush on him. I think everybody did. I actually didn't really start appreciating him until much later in his career. Like I think most people did. Mm -hmm. Once he did like Brokeback, which is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I know. I still have to watch it. Brokeback Mountain is amazing. And it's only amazing because Ang Lee's cinematography is just gorgeous. But the actors in it are just mind numbingly good. That's and fair. he's amazing in it. And that's when I really started to appreciate him. And then I could see everything he was about. I could go back and watch a movie like this and appreciate all the little things he did, which I didn't catch the first time I saw this movie. One thing I did notice about him that annoys the shit out of me in this movie. Hmm. I'm going to throw an early nitpick out. When he looks at people, he tucks his upper lip in so it doesn't look like he has one. And it's super annoying. I never noticed that. I always was looking at his eyes and how he has to squint every time he's looking at oh someone. My. Like he's trying to figure them out. Yeah, he squints so much in this movie, but I'm sure like being outside, bright sun, squinty. But yeah, watch it again and watch when he looks at people. He tucks his front lip up and it's super and weird. It's <laughs> super weird and I don't get it. It's really noticeable in the scene when he's sitting on the bench talking to uh, Cameron and asking him where, where he got kissed. Mm -hmm. watch that scene again and watch his upper lip. He doesn't have one because he tucks it. Noise the hell out of me. <laughs> um, but he would go on to be an Oscar winner and just universally loved. I don't think anybody ever says a bad word about him. No. And I don't know if that's just, you know, he died, so we don't want to disrespect his memory, but... There's tons of people who have passed and they talk shit about them, so... Yeah, his, one of his last movies he was in that I actually really enjoy that other people don't, The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, which is a super, you ever heard of it? No. Super weird movie. It's uh, about a guy who can travel to like different worlds. Heath Ledger plays like he's a carnival showman kind of guy and he can travel to different worlds and stuff, but he died during the making of that movie. And the story always just blows my mind because I'm like, you know he was loved, right? Because... After his death, they were like, we're going to shut it down. We're going to not do this at all. But three of his friends stepped up to finish filming it. And it's amazing. So it was Johnny Depp, Jude Law, and Colin Farrell. Three. Wow. But what they did was every time he went into one of these new worlds, he would change his appearance. 
that's how those actors filled in because those are the moments they didn't finish filming yet. So they stepped in to do it. And what's even more cool, none of them, none of the three took a paycheck for it. They did it out of respect to him. The money that they would have made, they put into a college fund for his daughter that he had with Michelle Williams. Oh. So that she would be taken care of. Too cute. Right? Too cute. You know you make an impact when that big of friends to be able to do that, you know you did something right. Yeah. You know you did something right. All right. Let's talk about this movie. Yes. So the first thing I notice about this movie is the music. Mm-hmm. He's amazing. I love every song they play in this. They start with Bare Naked Ladies one week just blasting. And then they go into Joan Jett's Bad Reputation. And you just immediately know what you're in for. I cannot tell you the name of a single song in this movie, but I know them all. Yeah. I'm 100% in the minute those two songs are played next to each other. And it made me realize Cat is so alternative. Oh, it's such a great introduction. Like, yeah. that's it. That's all you needed to know. You hear Joan Jett screaming, I don't give a f- about my bad reputation. And boom, done. I know everything I need to know about Cat in an instant. This is one thing that I actually really applaud this movie for is their setup of each character is so perfect that you know everything about that character's wants, wishes, needs, everything about them in such interesting and easy ways. They don't have to like do a, a character sheet like, Shush, here's my traits and here's my everything. It's just naturally you're given it. That was literally my next note. My next note verbatim says, character setups are amazing. <laughs> because they do with every single character. So that's how we start with her. When we get to the school, which is the next scene, we get Cameron sitting in the counselor's office. And we get her set up right away when we see what she's typing on the computer. Yeah. We know she doesn't care about these kids at all. As Cameron's leaving, who we know he's an army brat from the dialogue, but we know he's also a little timid from the way he's acting. As he's leaving, he passes Patrick as Patrick's coming into the office. And the way she intru- like talks to him of like, oh, I see you're making your weekly appearance. is like, bad boy, done, got it. Yep. We go outside uh, into the hallway and Michael walks up, David Krumholtz. They usually send like an AV dork and an AV kid walks past and he's like, hey, Michael, what do you want? Total geek, but wants to be cool. That's it. This movie just sets everybody up so well. And it's done through either just things going around the characters or interesting dialogue. I actually really, really enjoy the dialogue in this movie because it's it's not exposition punching you in the face. It's like worded so eloquently. Did Mean Girls steal from this movie where Michael is telling Cameron about all the different people in the school? Did Mean Girls steal that for the cafeteria scene? You know, I thought it sounded very familiar because it it does. It, it's giving those really ridiculous but super cliche groups in high schools and having them be like really cliche. Really far into it. And that's exactly what they do in Mean Girls. That's gotta be pulled from this, right? Mm-hmm. Because it feels so similar. But it's great. It works every time. Yeah, but it also sets up how ridiculous this movie can be by giving us, like, those are the cowboy dudes. They've never seen a cow. Here are the white Rasta people. (laughs) They think they're black. Like, that's how ridiculous this movie is going to be at times, but it still somehow works. It still feels grounded. Yes. This is where we get to meet Bianca, who, as he's getting introduced to everybody, 
he sees this girl walk past and he's just like, I cherish, I pine, I, and he's just immediately infatuated with her. Number one, who talks like that? That's so weird. It's a line directly ripped from The Taming of the Shrew. Oh, okay then. That that makes more sense. <laughs> I have never read The Taming of the Shrew, but it's that classic like slow-mo walk of the oh, girl yeah. with the like wind going through her hair. Yeah, but see, there's a difference between like and love. Because I like my Skechers, but I love my Prada backpack. But I love my Skechers. That's because you don't have a Prada backpack. Oh. You know who she is again immediately soon as she's introduced. Then we meet Joey. Yeah. Who is a wannabe model. Who's that guy? It's Joey Donner. He's a jerk off and a model. Well, he's a model? A model. <laughs> Mostly regional stuff, uh, but he's rumored to have a big tube sock app coming out. <laughs> really? <laughs> really. <laughs> but he wants Bianca, but not for any real reason. It's a bet with a friend. In fact, it's not even a bet. He says, money I have. This I'm going to do for fun. And he's going to try to bone Bianca at prom. And that sets up his character perfectly, too, being like, I know I'm hot shit and I can get whatever girl I want. In fact, I'm going to go after the one that has been notoriously unavailable. You know what my favorite part about it is? They don't have to continuously reference the bet. Yeah. They say it here at the front and it sets everything in motion. But then the rest of the movie kind of makes you forget it. Where it's like, ooh, maybe he just really is to Bianca. He wants to... They, they set it up pretty well. Mm-hmm. And then they bring it back at the end. And they not only punch the characters in the face with that information, they almost punch us in the face too of like, did you remember? We know you hated him anyway because he's a terrible person. But did you remember how much you hated him? Let us remind you. Yeah. It's I, amazing. I think it was more so for the character development, the character like showing you what this character is. Because it's not that stereotypical where she's going to fall in love with Joey. And that's the whole crux of the story is the that bet. Then we get to meet, they get to go home, and we find out that there's a new rule in the house. Bianca can date when Kat does, but Kat has no interest in dating. That's because their father is a delivery doctor? Uh, Labor yeah. and delivery doctor? Yeah, I... I just, I actually really appreciate this movie for giving realistic reasons why there's plot devices. So, like, he's seen teen pregnancy, so he's super obsessed with making sure his daughters do not become pregnant. And what better way than not letting them date? This morning, I delivered a set of twins to a 15-year-old girl. Do you know what she said to me? I'm a crack whore who should have made my skeezy boyfriend wear a condom? Close. But no. She said, I should have listened to my father. She did not! Well, that's what she would have said if she wasn't so doped up. <laughs> so good. So good. It, one of my favorite things that happens in this movie, it didn't get my award, but it's my favorite small moment, is after he tells them the new rule and Bianca's complaining. <gasps> but she's a mutant. What if she never dates? Then you'll never date. Oh, I like that. Dude, there are so many lines. Like, coming up with my award was really, really hard because there's so many quotable lines from this movie. And that is one of them. Oh, it's so funny. He's so good in that moment, Larry Miller. He's good the entire movie. Oh, I yeah. wanted more of him. Now we're going to get the plot going, right? So the whole idea of this movie is Bianca can't date anyone because Kat won't date anyone. Cameron wants to date Bianca and so does Joey. So the thing they come up with is they have to find somebody 
to date Kat. The way to do it is Joey pays Patrick to take her out. Awful, awful story. <laughs> but it's somehow very, it works. very convoluted and yet simple all at the same time because you have Cameron pulling the strings to make Joey feel like he's pulling the strings to deal with Patrick, but Patrick knows about Cameron and yeah. is secretly wanting Cameron to get the girl. And then Bianca starts helping them all out in her own way. It's super weird. It is very weird. Super weird. The only one not in on it, in on it is Kat. Yep. She's the only person who doesn't know the main story in the movie. Yeah. So weird. Okay. Couple questions here. Mm-hmm. Why is Michael helping Cameron? Friendship. They've known each other a day. He was literally the guide on Cameron's first day. They're not friends. So I think it's more so that he's trying to latch on to Cameron to be a friend because he literally just lost his friend group. Like he said, there was a hostile takeover. Yeah. So he doesn't really have friends other than Cameron. It's just so quick. It's so quick. He's like all in. He doesn't think it's weird. He doesn't question it. He's immediately all in. And I understand you. everybody should have a friend like that, but like they're not friends. And it's super awkward. You got to remember, these are younger kids. I don't care. Making friendships were was easier back in the day. I don't care. I don't like it. Here's the thing. There's a bunch of rumors that are talked about in this movie. Most of them dealing with Patrick. Mm-hmm. And it's, we can't help, we can't ask him to do anything because X, Y, and Z. And all these rumors. Which one is your favorite rumor? I have them written down here. Okay. Okay. So first we have Patrick lit a state trooper on fire. Patrick spent the last year in San Quentin prison. Patrick sold his liver on the black market so he could buy new speakers. Patrick ate a live duck. Patrick slept with one of the Spice Girls. And Patrick is friends with Marilyn Manson. The one that gets me every time is eating the live duck. Everything but the bill and feet. Yeah, that's that's your favorite rumor. I don't know why it gets me every time. I don't know which one's my favorite. I think sleeping with a Spice Girl. <laughs> I think that's just hilarious. Like, I don't know why. Just stands out. This always makes me interested in this movie, too, because it's an interesting commentary on reputation. Mm-hmm. And letting people say whatever they want about you to, like, garner the reputation that you want or having to fight against a reputation that you have. All right. It's always an interesting aspect to this movie that I feel like no other movie has really gotten quite as well with high school movies, especially when it comes to Patrick, because, you know, he, he's actually just a big softy, but everyone assumes he's this hardened criminal and he lets him because he doesn't want to have to deal with anyone. I feel that. I feel that on a spiritual level. Speaking of Patrick, as soon as he gets introduced to the story and beyond the getting him to date Kat, because at first he's very standoffish and blah, blah, blah. Once he's in the story, once he's actively participating in it, you realize how magnetic Heath Ledger is as this character. Like, he is not formally attractive in this movie. The way they do his hair makes him look like he's got a six head. His forehead is massive. The way he curls his lips, the way he like squints and shrugs all the time, like he's purposefully not making himself attractive in this movie. But his personality just punches you in the face and you can't help but just be attracted to him. Why well, I had a crush on him. It's amazing. Time. It's amazing how magnetic he is. 
And when I watched this movie for the first time, I was drawn to everybody else. Because I was like, I recognize these people. They have more screen time. And watching it this time, I was like, man, they should have just made the whole movie about Patrick. Mm -hmm. Just just do it. Let this man just work. I absolutely love, too, that once he gets involved with, like, Pat, not Patrick, once he gets involved with Cameron, he's, like, softened to him. He's like, I'm going to build you up. You don't feel like you're worthy of this person? Let me build you up. Let me take time out of my day to make you feel good. And I've actually known quite a few people that are like that that are super hard on the outside, but as soon as you, like, get close to them, they're sweet as pie. Yeah. So it was really interesting to see this character be so layered. Me. (laughs) (laughs) I come across as a big asshole. And then you get to know me, and you're like, eh, you're only a little asshole. I was going to say, it really depends on the day for you. That's that's very... Bipolar is a bitch. (laughs) Um, So after Patrick's invested, he's trying to get on a date with Kat. I love the scene where he goes and meets her outside of the music shop and he's like oh i'm not stalking you i was over there and i came over and blah 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 and he looks at her and he's like you're not afraid of me are you afraid of you why would i be afraid of you well most people are well i'm not well maybe you're not afraid of me but i'm sure you've thought about me naked huh am i that transparent i want you i need you oh baby oh baby julia styles in this moment is just class she is so damn good. I love the way she delivered this line, the way she looks at him, and then immediately after this, backs her car into Joey's car. Whoops. You bitch! <laughs> Whoops. Julia Stiles, this is like her shining moment in this movie for me. I feel like she gets a chance to just kind of be a bitch, but... At the same time, you can see that she's a real person Mm -hmm. and that she's kind of like taking this all in stride. What's amazing to me is she's the one person, she's the one character that's not in on what's happening in the movie. And yet she feels the most grounded and real. Mm -hmm. She is a fully realized character with agency, with urgency, with the ability to not just be a for lack of a better term, cliche, she's not just, oh, female in high school. That's it. She has so much depth and layers and it's amazing. Well, it also made me love this movie is because she doesn't just have a guy give her attention and immediately fawn all over him. He has to work really hard for her to even give him the time of day. So I appreciated that as a female, I will say, that... It, it made me feel good that she was like, yeah, I, I don't just fall for you because you're paying attention to me. You, you didn't just bat your eyes at me and I'm, I'm in love with you now. Which is definitely something I feel like happens more often in this format of the teen movie. It happens in this movie. All right, let's just get into it right now. Yeah. I have to. I despise Bianca and Cameron's relationship because there isn't one. Well, I despise Bianca's and Joey's relationship too. But her and Cameron are supposed to be like, they're going to end up together by the end and we're going to be happy for it. I have no idea why. He saw her walking around outside the first day, immediately fell in love with her, faked knowing French to get close to her, doesn't even know who she is and asks her out on a date, which she declines because she doesn't even know his name at this point. And then he does nothing. We never see them building together to get to the point to give a shit. 
I feel like the only time that they hang out is trying to find dirt on Kat to help Patrick. Which is like a really cute moment when they're in her room going through stuff and he's like, Can I see your room? No. A girl's room is very personal. Bitch, you are literally going through your sister's room right now. She is also a girl. Yeah, did you forget? But like, it's a cute interaction, but two cute interactions does not a relationship make. I never really liked Cameron's whole shtick in this movie of, I, I get the idea of love at first sight. I'm not a believer in love at first sight, but he kind of come, comes across as creepy mm -hmm. with how hard and how much he's doing to get with this girl that he's barely known for like two days. Oh yeah. It's not like you've been pining after this girl for years and you know everything about her because you've had classes and you've talked, but you're willing to fake knowing French, which is terrible. Don't fake stuff for a new partner. That's not going to win you any favors. And then you go through this whole rigmarole to get with her, even though you kind of know that she wants Joey. Yeah. This is why I hate this part of the movie. Yeah. I understand it's the catalyst for everything else that happens. It's just the worst part of this movie. It just makes me see how bad pretty much every one of those characters is. And it takes down the quality of the movie when you look at the relationship of Kat and Patrick. Yeah. That's the part that I'm actually really, really interested in. Having to watch everything else, I'm just like, I, I, some, sometimes I get the creeps because everyone is terrible. You're 100%. Every single person in this movie is terrible, except for one person. Patrick? Cat. Ah. No, Patrick takes the money to date yeah. a girl. Yeah. That doesn't make him great. That's fair. You know, but Cat is the most innocent person in this entire movie, and yet we focus less on her and her story than everybody else. And it's like, really? Come on. Yeah. Let's flip this a little. I really wish they would have had more moments because I know we get a, a kind of a bombshell later in the movie of why Kat is the way she is. I kind of wish they would have given more hints towards that throughout the movie. I mean, her hatred of Joey is a pretty big hint. Yeah, and her but you could just hate Bianca. Joey because he's that, because he's Joey. Sure, but trying to keep Bianca away from him and not dating other dudes, you knew there was some underlying stuff. The bombshell was who that underlying stuff was with. More than what it was. I guess. I don't know. Never, never surprised me in that moment when she's like. Just once. Right after mom left. Everyone was doing it. So I did it. Afterwards, I told him I didn't want to anymore because I wasn't ready. And he got pissed and he dumped me. After that, I swore I would never do anything just because everyone else was doing it. And I haven't since. With the exception of Bogey's party and my stunning digestive pyrotechnics. How is it possible that I did not know about this? I warned him that if he told anyone, the cheerleading squad would find out how tiny his dick is. One of the best moments of the whole movie. I love her laughing in this moment. It gets me every time. Okay, so we're jumping ahead here, but that's fine. This scene where she admits all this stuff to Bianca and they have like a heart to heart is amazing. Julia Stiles crushes it, but what's great is the writing here. Because she admits all this stuff, she thinks it's going to bond them, but by the end of it, Bianca's like, get out. Get out of my room. I understand what you just said, but how dare you try to keep me from living my life because you messed up yours. 
get out. I highly appreciate it because every other movie would have had them make up. Oh yeah, they would have hugged. They would have cried together. She would have been like, I'll go punch Joey in the face for you right now. Like it would have been a whole thing. And I love the way this plays out. Mm -hmm. It's one of the best scenes in the whole movie. That's something that kind of pulls together the idea of one bad experience can sour people. Yeah. She had one bad experience with Joey and now she's against anyone dating ever again. Because of the one experience. So far that you don't want even your sister to go on a date, not just with Joey, but with anyone. Because she doesn't trust anybody. So it's, it's, She's so layered, man. Yeah. Especially because it's not just about Joey. It's the idea that that all happened right after their mom left them. Mm-hmm. So she was already hurting. And then to have the guy she trusted at the time also then hurt her. It just was like stacked on top of each other. And she just shut the world out. Which is really good to have characters with this many layers showing us that People are more than one thing. They're more than one want or need at any given moment. A lot of movies forget that because it's kind of hard to write. It's kind of hard to be like, okay, let me think of this character's entire life history and what happened to them to make them this way. But they did it. All right. The next part I want to talk about is Lowenstein's party. Yeah. So they all go to a house party. This is the first time Kat's out of the house on a quote unquote date. So that Bianca can go as well. And everybody's there. And Kat gets super drunk. And she starts dancing. Hits her head on a chandelier. The whole night just goes bad. And Patrick's like trying his best to hold it all together. At the end, Kat's like, leave me be. And then she's like, no, just kidding. Drive me home. And she tries to kiss him. And I love that he doesn't kiss her. I have that she's drunk. Too. Yeah. But she sees it as an insult. He didn't even want to kiss me. Mm-hmm. great moment here because you understand both people in the moment. Patrick's right for not kissing her while she was drunk. She's right for feeling like he spurned her. Yeah. And it's such a clash. This sets up the next 15 minutes of the movie. And it's, it's such a small moment. And yet it sets up so much. And it's one of those things that you actually normally hate, which is issue could have been solved with five minutes of talking. But we know from character development, Kat doesn't have that conversation. That's why I don't mind this one. Because you can't solve this in five minutes of conversation because Kat won't have that conversation. And Patrick doesn't seem to realize that he needs that conversation. Right, he doesn't realize he's done anything wrong in this moment. He Because he hasn't. Correct, he was in the right. Yeah. So it's great, but it sets up some beautiful stuff when he's trying to apologize to her, but he doesn't know what he did wrong. It's such a creepy moment and yet so kind and gentle and caring at the same time. When she's in the music shop sitting down to play a guitar and he walks up behind her and has this whole 30 seconds of like, I'm going to talk to her. I'm not. What should I say? I don't know. And he's like struggling with himself if he should actually approach her. And then he just walks away. It's such a creepy moment because you're like, don't, don't stalk her like this. But also it's so endearing. Where you're just like, oh my god, tap her on the shoulder. Just do it. Just do it. I didn't even think about it being creepy. Because he's been doing this the entire time where he just shows up where she's going to be. So I feel like that's just part of his character now. Yeah, but that's creepy. I It should be. Don't just do that. But because it was Heath Ledger. Yeah, it works. It works. All right, you can, you can do creepy things if you're attractive. Yeah, I mean, movies have been telling us that for years. Absolutely. But then he follows her to the bookstore... And again, we get this little moment of he doesn't know if he should talk to her or not. And when he does, it all blows up in his face. 
Oh yeah. I love that he asks for uh feminine mystique and that's the book that she finds and like slams into his chest oh, as yeah. it, after they're done talking. So he finds out that she was humiliated because he wouldn't kiss her. So he has to do something humiliating in return to level the playing field. I actually really appreciate too that we didn't get this from Kat. We got it from Kat's best friend through Michael who's falling in love with his with Kat's best friend. Like there's this whole like side story going on. I would say it was like a Z plot of them falling for each other or fawning over William Shakespeare. But yeah, they come together and figure that out. Yeah. I, I love it. It's that added thing of like, it's not just the main character story. There's other things happening. But it also makes sure to keep everybody a part of the main story. Mm-hmm. Michael just didn't like exist at the beginning and disappear for a while. He's always part of it. <laughs> love the scene where they're in line at the cafeteria and they're telling him about how she was hurt, insulted, all that. And I love when Michael says some really weird Shakespearean stuff to him. Sweet love, renew thy force. Hey. Don't say shit like that to me. People can hear you. Look, you embarrass the girl. Sacrifice yourself on the altar of dignity and even the score. Listen, don't say shit like that to him. People can hear you. It's so good. I love it. It's a moment where three great actors just get to play off each other and it works. I absolutely love to, because he just totally stole his food. So now we get the infamous singing on the bleachers. I wouldn't even call it infamous. I think it's famous. It's infamous. It's an embarrassing blight on a Oscar-worthy career. What? I love this moment. He disappeared from... It doesn't matter if you love it or not. He disappeared from the limelight for years because he tried to break the heartthrob, teenage heartthrob view that everybody had of him because of moments like this. Uh, he sings to Kat, who's in gym class. They have a lot of gym class in this movie. I think that's her soccer practice. Oh, is it soccer practice? Mm-hmm. She's on the soccer team. I know, but she just, they have soccer practice in the middle of school days? I don't think it's in the middle. It could be at the end of the day. Maybe. I don't know. It's just weird. They're just on that field a lot. I was going to say, because you also have the entire band there and... Not everyone has the same gym class, so... No, but the band's there because he paid them to be there to play the music. For well, him yeah, singing. but they'd have to be free if it was in the middle of the day. Correct. So it's not. It's, it's very soccer weird. practice. It's very weird. But he does. He sings a song, and it's uh, I Can't Take My Eyes Off of You. And I thank God I'm alive. You're just too good to be true. Can't take my eyes off of you. classic song it's amazing what a moment this leads me to a question though why did he get in trouble for that stunt he seemed to have like everyone helping him he didn't have permission it doesn't matter if another student helps you break into the um equipment booth on the field and play music and oh i figured he had i figured that was part of the bribe that he gave was the person who runs that helped him out so i was very confused but they're still students it doesn't matter if that student runs it or not there's ah. still students going in when they're not supposed to i feel like that wouldn't cause people to be in trouble nowadays they'd be like ah oh, that's a cute moment all right no 100 percent. you still get in tr- you still broke in man it's still trespass trespassing ah, it's and- for love <laughs> it doesn't matter what it's for it's a great moment it's so cute i find myself singing along with it all the time 
I love when uh, he's like running from the cops and like knocking them over and just it's a comedy moment with a very sincere heart. Yeah. It's so good. This is such a well shot, well acted moment in this movie. Mm-hmm. Top to bottom. Just fantastic. But he gets detention for it because, you know, breaking and entering. I love when Cat goes to get him out of detention. I don't. You don't like this moment. I do not. I love the teacher in this moment who breaks down the high kid and then takes his drugs, takes his marijuana. And then as he's walking back to the desk, desk, he's like, oh, this too. And grabs a bag of Cheetos. Yeah. You don't need to know that that teacher's going to get high. He doesn't need to explicitly state it. Him taking the Cheetos lets you know the type of person that he is. Character setups. So good. One thing that I would have brought up before now, but all the teachers and staff at the school are kind of problematic, mm-hmm. but they still somehow work because you have the counselor who's like sex obsessed because she's writing her romance novel, but she says inappropriate stuff to the students still somehow works. Mm-hmm. The lit teacher who I absolutely love. Mr. Morgan. Constantly swearing at his students, but it still somehow works. And then this teacher who I think is actually the gym teacher. He's the gym teacher. He's the one who gets the arrow shot in his ass earlier in the movie is why when he's in detention and he goes to sit on the desk, he stands up and goes, yeah. But again, it's a rich school. So the teachers have a little more leeway because these, all of these kids are going to be taken care of no matter what. But how does Patrick go to a rich school? How does Cameron, who's an army brat. I guess if he's like a general's kid or... No, if he's a general, he's not moving around nine times in 10 years. That's fair. Maybe he just got general. Maybe. I'm just saying, though. So, like, it doesn't make sense. But when you th- look at, like, Bianca and Patrick. Bowie Logan Not Patrick. Bowie Loganstein. Um, Joey. Clearly, this is a rich person's school. That's why they have that massive field and all this stuff. I don't know how some of these poor kids are in there. Scholarships, maybe. Could be. Fair. Then again, we don't actually know that Patrick is poor. No. He just acts poor. Doesn't mean he is. So why don't you like how she gets him out of detention? You don't like the flashing a teacher part? Yeah. Why? It's super fucking creepy. It is a little weird, yeah. but I think it's great. So they get out, they go on a date, everything's forgiven. Let's jump ahead to prom. Okay. So she's going to go to prom. Because Bianca wants to go to prom. I mean, they've kind of come to terms, the two of them, mm-hmm. realizing they're both bitches. Yep. One of my favorite parts in the whole movie, which it's not a great moment, but it's a great moment for Bianca. After Bogey Lowenstein's party. Have you always been this selfish? Yes. Such a great moment. That's she knows character it. development right there. But that's the moment that you can see her start to change. Oh yeah, because we've gotten a few moments here and there. She's even said in French, "Why? when will you ask me out? They've kind of been around each other like they've gone on dates i believe nope, no they not, not. Until? nope okay. they were just at the party together that was I, my bad i'm mixing up the time frames of this movie but you you get it all set up where she definitely doesn't like joey anymore she's kind of gotten over him at the party where he was even more vapid than she is yep so i i like this kind of turnaround for her character i still don't like this relationship though that's fair Yeah, I don't either. But I still like it that when he opens the door for her date, it's Cameron. For prom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they go to prom. This is where everything blows up. Oh, yeah. Because Joey realizes that she's there with Cameron. Well, because Joey goes to pick up Bianca. Yeah. And she's not there. So he goes to prom 
walks up to Patrick and is like, I didn't pay you to take out the shrew so that Cameron could snake me with Bianca. And everything blows up. On that end. On that end. Then Bianca, her best friend, played by Gabrielle Union, is there at the prom. Because Joey went to get her after. because he's spurned. And she says, And just so you know, Joey only liked you for one reason. He even had a bet going with his friends. He's gonna nail you tonight. Everything blows up on that end. Yeah. And everything comes to a head. Kat leaves the prom pissed. Bianca beats the crap out of Joey. Mm-hmm. Great, great, powerful moment. Gotta love when uh, the girl's gonna defend the boy. And we've seen it in movies since, but this might have been one of the first to do it, where Joey punches Cameron and just puts him on his ass immediately. And Bianca then comes up and just beats him. Mm-hmm. Punches him twice in the face and knees him in the balls. I love that moment. She beats him up. She is now taking control of her narrative. Mm-hmm. This entire time, Bianca was a pawn in the Cameron Joey game. Yeah. And now that game got flipped, thrown out the window. And she is now queen. And she is the queen of her own story. And I love it. And Kat is now the queen of her story. Now she found out she was even part of a story. (laughs) And once that happens, she decides, screw that. I'm going back to my story and doing her thing. It's a great blow up that I love. It gets settled within minutes. It's not like everything blows up at the beginning of the third act and then nothing gets solved until the end. We only have like 10 minutes left of the movie when everything blows up Mm -hmm. and gets solved like that. We get like a quick montage of like trying to get Kat from being mopey. Yep. We, but we also get in that montage, the moment of her and Bianca being like, we're cool, right? We're still good. Like, I, I love you. But not everything's wrapped up in a tidy little bow yet. Nah. Because Patrick and Kat still haven't done much. But Kat had mentioned earlier in the movie she might start a girl band. And so she's walking out of school one day. She walks up to her car and there's a Fender Strat sitting in the front seat. Nice, huh? A Fender Strat? Is it for me? Yeah, I thought you could use it, you know, when you start your band. Besides, I had some extra cash, you know. Some asshole paid me to take out this really great go. Is that right? Yeah, but I screwed up. I um, I fell for her. And they kiss. Camera pans out. We see the band on top of the roof. End of movie. So great. Yeah. But leads to a knit. Okay. Let's let's go into knits. Let's yeah. do it. Uh, I'll go in order of minutes and I'll, I'll get to that one. But Kat is a terrible person. Is she? She literally pulls down the poster for prom because she doesn't like the prom. Yeah, it doesn't make it a terrible person. I think she's actually one of the nicer people in the movie. One of the less terrible people. She just has a bad attitude. I don't okay. see that as terrible, though. Okay. The one from this end of the movie is who leaves their windows open? Rich school. That's the answer. You leave all the windows. Even still, not even just if someone's going to steal your car. What if the weather changes? First of all, they're in California. The weather's probably not going to change. You have like a 98% chance of it's just sunny (laughs) and not going to rain. But two things. One, it's a rich school. Those people don't have anything really to worry about. Number two, it's 1999. Uh, People People didn't worry about stuff like that back in the day. So the whole idea is that Michael got kicked out of his 
future leaders of America Club or whatever it was, hostile takeover, from Bogey Lowenstein. Yeah. So to get back at him, he messes with Bogey's party. Uh Uh-huh. He throws flyers down the hallway or down the stairwell that just say free beer so that everybody shows up. This is high school. One teacher, one person is going to find that flyer and shut that whole party down. That party never happens. Rich high school. The kids basically know it's like, I can do whatever I want because if not, I can just tell on these teachers for all the crap that they do. I know, but like, there's probably one good teacher in there who actually cares would shut that party down immediately. He was sick that day. <laughs> Never. Michael ne- knew. Michael had, had, <laughs> had that all planned. He's like, he's out today. Sweet. Ha ha. Throw a ball. Yeah. The chandelier at the party that Kat hits her head on makes no logical sense. It's not she, low enough to hit her head on it until that moment. Until, yeah, until it's yeah. necessary. Forceful kissing. So at the prom, when everything bro- blows up and she's trying to walk away from Patrick, he grabs her and kisses her. Yeah. Like that's supposed to solve it. He also does that at the end too, to stop her arguing. And it's yeah, like, but, that one, but that one's fine because they've reconciled at that point. That's fair. The one at the prom, there was no reconciliation happening. Yeah. Cat is a manic pixie nightmare girl. <laughs> and it annoys the hell out of me that that is even a thing. And my last thing is at the very end of the movie, when the camera is panning out to show the band, you can see that cat is parked in a staff parking lot, parking spot. Did you really? Yeah. At the back end of her car written in that spot, you can see AFF and her, the car parked there is blocking the other two letters, but clearly that's just staff parking. And it's like, what a bitch. <laughs> Get out of the teacher's parking spot. You jerk. I absolutely love it. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about that we got to go back and talk about is the poem. Oh, yeah. The, the, the poem that the movie is named after. Yeah. So she has to write a poem based on this Shakespeare thing. And she writes a poem called 10 Things I Hate About You. I hate the way you talk to me and the way you cut your hair. I hate the way you drive my car. I hate it when you stare. I hate your big, dumb combat boots and the way you read my mind. I hate you so much it makes me sick. It even makes me rhyme. I hate it. I hate the way you're always right. I hate it when you lie. I hate it when you make me laugh. Even worse, when you make me cry. I hate it when you're not around and the fact that you didn't call. But mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. Is it a good poem? No. Like, is she getting an A-plus on this assignment? Probably not, especially because you're crying through half of it, but yeah. Apparently that was all done in one take um, and she wasn't supposed to cry, but the poem really just got to her until so she started crying and they didn't want to shoot it again because they knew they had it locked in. Yeah. I mean, that was the perfect one. Yeah, oh, it was so good. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I like this poem or not. It's cute for the moment, but it's not cute for class. It's also just not cute, period. Sorry. <laughs> it's not. It's super weird. I, I don't know. It's that culmination of her character of... You know, I'm angry at the world and I'm angry at you, but I'm actually not. So I'm kind of understanding myself more of, I'm not actually angry, I'm hurt. Yeah, I my, I think my problem is the poem's just not good. That's fair. But then again, I go back and read some of the stuff that I wrote in high school and I'm like, what was I on? This is awful. Oh yeah, don't even go looking at my poems because we did the whole poetry thing and I was like terrible at it. <laughs> All right, you got questions? Yeah. Uh, what favor does... Patrick call in to get the band at prom. 
he called Marilyn Manson his best friend, or he called the Spice Girl that he slept with. <laughs> Who happened to know the lead singer of Letters the band that she loves. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Bianca and Cameron ever came clean to Kat about their involvement in the dating scheme? Yes. Uh, I only have one question. Could this movie be longer? So it's only an hour 37. I don't think so. I think it's pretty good as is. I don't want it to drag anywhere. True, but I feel like a lot of stuff is just sped through that. Like the Cameron-Bianca relationship. Like, add 15 minutes to this movie and we can kind of further expand how they got there. We can allow the blow up at the prom to breathe a little more before it gets solved. And we can add that scene in of admitting their wrongdoings. I could see where you spend it on. I don't really want more of Cameron and Bianca. I just, I don't care for them. It's fair. Their plot. But I can understand giving it more time to breathe and then having that, that moment between the sisters. What piece of memorabilia do you want from this movie? The guitar. Ooh, I want the poem. Like the actual written poem on that piece of paper and hang it on my wall. All right. I don't like Even the Even though I was going to say you don't like the poem. I don't like the poem, but it's still just, it's a, it's a moment in movie history. People still reference that poem. So That's to fair. own it would be cool. That is fair. All right. Awards? Yeah. Okay. So I have a special award for this movie and this movie alone. And I need your help with it. Okay. I'm going to give you three options in who's the winner of the Scene Stealing Award. Your nominees are Allison Janney as the guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. Daryl Mitchell as the English teacher, Mr. Morgan. Or Larry Miller as Dr. Stratford. Oh, you, you, I had it until you brought up Dr. Stratford. There's, these are three side characters who every time they're on screen, knock it out of the park. They chew it up so hard and it works so well. For scene stealing, I'm going to give it to the lit teacher. I actually have it written that I absolutely love this lit teacher. I feel like Dr. Stratford is too central of a main character. All right. First up is the Jimmy Dugan Award. Boy, that was some good peeing. For a piss break moment in the movie. Mine, Lowenstein's party. Really? Yeah, I think most of that party that takes like seven, eight minutes of screen time could have been done in two minutes. Okay. There's so many moments you could just walk away and nothing happens or matters. Like we don't need the guy, uh, Heath, Pushing a girl to some guy. And yeah, then that's him, super problematic. Him uh, thanking him. Thanking him later on as yeah. well. There's just so much we just don't need. Yeah. I choose the montage of Cameron trying to find someone to date Kat. Before he actually settles on Patrick. I, it's funny, but it takes too long. It's boring. Nothing really happens in that moment. And I could take a piss during it. Next up is the Prestige Award. Every magic trick as a third act, the part we call the prestige. For the biggest WTF moment in the movie. The flashing scene. It is so... What the heck? You know? That's fair. I can't I can't watch it without feeling so cringy and just so... Ugh. Mine is Cameron and Bianca's entire relationship. It doesn't work on any level for me. Next is the psycho shower scene for your favorite scene in the movie. There's only one answer here. I'm really worried because I feel like I don't have your answer. It's Heath singing. That really should have been my answer. It's only Heath singing. That is the correct answer. (laughs) 
Well, I put the paintball date because I absolutely love it. I think it's so cute and it's a date I'd want to go on. And that whole date scene is what makes me so connected with these two characters as a couple. Next up is the I'll Be Right Back award. I'll be right back. (laughs) For your favorite line in the movie. Mine comes from the moment where Cameron and Michael are realizing that Patrick is their only choice. We are screwed. Hey, no, hey, I don't want to hear that defeatist attitude. I want to hear you upbeat. We are screwed. There you go. I absolutely love the way he goes, we're screwed at the end. Like, that is the level of humor that I absolutely love from this movie. And it's not a big moment. It's not a big quote that people remember. But this is that level of humor that I love. I love that moment. Yep. My award goes to the second to last line in the entire movie. And it's the last full line of the entire movie. And it's right after Patrick gives Kat the guitar and they're arguing. And she says, you know, you can't just always buy me a guitar. And he responds with, yeah, I know. But then, you know, there's always drums and bass and maybe even one day a tambourine. So good. Just a great moment. It gets ruined, though. I wish she didn't say anything else. Yeah. I wish that would have been the final line instead of her half line of like, you can't just, and then they kiss. Yeah, didn't need it. No. The Han Shot First Award. Now, all Scott. Yes, I bet you have. For what held up the worst since the movie came out. It's pretending to date someone for money. Yeah. It's taking money to date someone. And going beyond that, it's the idea of having to pay someone to date someone else. I know it's the entire crux of this movie, but it is awful. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. Don't even think about doing it. It should not work. In fact, it doesn't work. It works way better in this movie than it has any right to. It's an awful idea. And I hate it. Yeah. Mine is in the same vein of the tired, overplayed plot. We've seen this in many, many movies before and since. And it just, it never works quite right. And it's giving people ideas in the real world. Right. Don't do this. Yeah. The 90s were really problematic for shaping young minds like mine on how high school and relationships should work. Yeah. No wonder no one has romance anymore, right? Well, we're romantic, just in really creepy ways, apparently. (laughs) And our last award, as always, is the Paul Rudd Award. I'm Paul Rudd, and I adapt. For what held up the best since the movie came out. Honestly, it's the acting. Everyone in this movie is top tier, and they're giving this movie their all in every single way. No line really falls flat. Things that shouldn't work even somewhat work in this movie. And it's all because of these actors. 100%. My award goes to the ensemble. The chemistry in this movie is amazing. All right, final thoughts. This movie is problematic. There are issues with it. There's plot points that totally don't work. But because of our Paul Rudd award, the acting, it still works. It holds up because of the chemistry and the magic that this particular movie brought to this tired plot and this tired trope. I'm actually going to disagree with you. Really? I think 10 Things I Hate About You does not hold up. There are certain elements that are really good, but overall, the pacing is awful. The movie's not shot well. It's shot more like a 1990s sitcom than an actual movie. The acting is 
phenomenal, but that can only take you so far. So it's a very hit or miss movie where there are really high points, but there's extremely low points as well. And unfortunately, I feel like in that hour and 37 minutes, I am low more often than I am up. And so I have to say it doesn't hold up. All right. I can still enjoy it though. Yeah. I still like the movie. I still laugh sometimes. Just don't think it holds up. Fair. Thanks for joining us for 1999's 10 Things I Hate About You. Let us know over on our socials if you think this movie holds up by clicking any of the links in the description of this episode. We'll be back next week with another one of your favorite movies of all time to see if it holds up. Until then, be good to yourself, be kind to others, and keep watching movies. Bye.